Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we'll be comparing notes on Devolution by Max Brooks and Stranger Things Season 4. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hi! Hey, how's it going? It's good. I'm excited to be recording and be in the swing of things. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm very warm. I am sequestered in a room away from the AC unit for oh, no. noise reasons. <laughs> and it's it's hot. Moist. Oh no. <laughs> um but otherwise I'm I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you do this week? This week I just kind of floundered around at work. <laughs> Had lots of imposter syndrome. Oh my god, same. Um, those types of activities. We are kind of coming off of a holiday weekend. And yes. even though I went to work this morning and yesterday morning, I have that sort of Sunday night anxiety mm-hmm. that some people get. Where it's like... Uh, the Sunday scaries. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm having that right now, even though I was at work this morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like when all of the other people come back. That's yeah. when I get the anxiety. Definitely. So, I hate that. But um, we'll see how it goes. I'm wishing I felt more settled at work, mm-hmm. but it's not unusual for me to take a long time to settle in. Yeah. And... I don't know. I've seen other people in this position try a lot less harder than I'm trying, so (laughs) I hope that counts for something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's universal. It's just really hard making sure that I feel like I'm doing as much as I can and doing things to the best of my ability while also establishing healthy boundaries with work. Because in the past... I didn't really set those because Mm -hmm. I was, you know, had the mindset like, well, if I work, like, if I max myself out, then I, you know, will get out faster. Yeah. yeah. Or there's all these reasons. And I, now that I'm in this new job, I'm like, now's the time to really take these boundaries seriously. And a lot of people in this position have kids and like really concrete reasons to have these boundaries and I should have these boundaries Mm -hmm. so it's just hard (laughs) trying to do both you know yeah yeah um that was like the best piece of advice I got when I was like transitioning from college into the position I am now um someone who had like worked in the field for a few years had told me like yeah I like try really hard to like, not answer emails on the weekends and not, like, set a precedent as a person that's, like, constantly available outside of work hours just because those boundaries are really important to me. And, like, that was a really good thing to kind of come into the position knowing that that was, like, an okay boundary to set from someone who had worked there for a while. So that was really good for me. And I feel like my current boss is also really good about, like, not expecting those boundaries to be trampled on. Same. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely the ball's in my court mm-hmm. to set them. Yeah, I just have to um, enforce them mentally yeah. and not ruminate about things on my things that are supposed to be my downtime. I shouldn't be ruminating. So yeah, that's a me thing. <laughs> that's not anyone at work's fault. Yeah, definitely. I just think that like we get it so ingrained after a while. That, like, the kind of shift is really hard to set up. Right. Yeah, and trying to reduce the amount of guilt I feel toward having hobbies, like this podcast Mm -hmm. or, like, the writing that I'm working on, the creative writing that I do, um, that's a big help, too, because not only is it something... That is time that I'm not dedicating to thinking about work, but it's, you know, it's creatively fulfilling. And for the podcast, I get to socialize with you and, you know, think about stuff that I like, but also check in with you, which is really important. So these are really positive steps for me in terms of not just setting boundaries, but filling my newly dedicated personal time with enrichment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) my environmental enrichment (laughs) we just gotta fill your space with like tubes and like paper for you to rip up (laughs) an igloo (laughs) i love it um but i was that was exactly the word i was thinking about too was that like it definitely enriches my life too (laughs) uh to have this podcast and just kind of feel like there's something that I like consistently have been doing for myself and not for anybody else. Good. Yeah. We don't have a boss. <laughs> yeah. For the podcast. We're it's our just own us. Bosses. <laughs> um, my week was, um, it was bad, but I feel like I've had a good reset this weekend. I watched a movie and watched some really good television. So that was very rejuvenating. I've been working my way through The Witcher. And I also restarted watching Fringe, which is like up there with X-Files for me. It's like one Mm -hmm. of my all-time favorite shows. So that's been really good. So those have kind of been the highlights of my week, I feel like. Just consuming more media to eventually talk about on the show. Oh, yeah. And you have a trip coming up to look forward to, right? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, In, like, five days, I leave. So close. I know. I can't wait. I have... I get, like, senioritis, but for vacation. (laughs) You know what I mean? Vacationitis, where I'm like, I gotta do the bare minimum. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because I'm leaving soon. I just get to disappear off the face of the planet for a week, which is joyous. I'm so excited. What a feeling. Gotta just get through a few more days, and then I get to go relax. But... Um, I have chosen to talk about the book Devolution, which is by Max Brooks. He's more commonly known, I feel like, for his novel World War Z. Oh. Yeah, which got a film adaptation 
And I never actually watched the film adaptation, but this is a subsequent novel that was published in June of 2020. So kind of right in the midst of the pandemic. And I feel like that's kind of why I ended up not having it on my radar is just because everything was so crazy at the time. Mm -hmm. But it, it was a very interesting and different book for me because it is a different writing style than I tend to go for. This isn't a writing style that I particularly care for. It is a book that is told through various like journal entries and field reports and stuff like that. And I mm -hmm. don't tend to like that kind of narrative structure. Um, is that epistological? I or do not epistolary? know. It's some, there's some name for it. So I actually found this book um, using Libby and listened to it on audio. And I liked that a lot better because it basically had a couple of different voice actors. One was reading the diary entries. One was the journalist perspective that's like kind of collating all of these journal entries as well as interviews and stuff like that. So I thought it was, it made for a very good audio experience. So if you're kind of similar to me and you don't really like to read diary entries, um, I highly recommend listening to it on audio. The voice actors for it are phenomenal. I can't shout anyone out because I didn't note that down, but I thought it was very good. The general genre of this book is kind of like a survivalist story mixed with horror. It's also uh, speculative fiction. So basically, the general premise of the story is that a community is cut off from civilization when Mount Rainier explodes. So um, similar to like a Mount St. Helens situation, a dormant volcano suddenly explodes and kind of shears this community off from the rest of the world. And mm -hmm. this book kind of really scratched my itch for a Michael Crichton-esque story. I am a huge fan of Michael Crichton works. Specifically, Jurassic Park is like my all-time favorite, but I also really like books like The Andromeda Strain, and one of my favorites is actually Micro, which was published posthumously. And so it kind of like had a similar energy to his type of writing, which I really like. How liked. would you describe that? Um, I would say that it it's told from a perspective of someone being thrown into this situation that they do not have the expertise or ability to handle. And I really like that. I don't really want a survival type situation where someone is very well equipped. I don't find that interesting. But I liked that this book was mostly told from the perspective of just like this normal woman who writes in her diary because her therapist told her to. And she's kind of just like documenting this situation. And I think that he does, Max Brooks specifically, does a very good job of writing about how people learn to adapt to new situations and kind of assess their own situations. And I really liked his interpretation of community structure and leadership 
in a crisis scenario, which I'll get into a little bit more later. But I think that it was just a really interesting depiction of a community that has just formed and people drawing together or conflict happening. And I just thought he did a really good job with the interpersonal dynamics in the story. And I find that's similar to Michael Crichton's works because, I mean, using Jurassic Park as an example, in Jurassic Park, obviously you have the scientist characters, but you also have the children who end up getting separated from the people that are taking care of them and they are having to kind of survive on their own. And it's like a totally different situation that they're being thrown into and they have to be able to adapt and protect themselves. And I just think that it's a really cool thing to explore. So the basic summary of the plot, I don't want to get like too far into the plot, but the story is told from the perspective of Katie, who moves to a town called Green Loop. It's like a recent community development, more of like a gated community It has like an HOA type vibe and it is meant to be this like eco-friendly, sustainable town um, that has been developed. So they've got lots of solar panels on their roofs and lots of really cool tech and all of their groceries get delivered each week by drones. And so the story is really interesting because it is a survival situation in a town that is very ill-equipped for their power to go off the grid or a volcano eruption to release ash into the atmosphere and cover all of their solar panels and Mm -hmm. a community where the manuals for all of the tech that their houses have are accessible by the internet and Mm -hmm. the internet's down. So it's just a really interesting scenario that you could see happening in the world because, I mean, it's just something that you could see not being thought through completely by like really rich people who are really excited about this new town that they're gonna go live in right sure so katie moves there i believe she has obsessive compulsive disorder so her therapist recommended that she journal to be able to um kind of process things and it talks about that really briefly at the beginning and then you just it kind of sets up the premise for why she is journaling through this whole experience and Katie moves with her husband, Dan, and they are not really meant to be there. Her brother used to live in the house that they're living in, and he and his partner end up breaking up, and the partner moves out, and her brother doesn't want to live there alone anymore, and so he's like, hey, it looks like you could use some healing, like, go live in this cool community, just go live in my house there. That's really nice. Yeah. So when Mount Rainier erupts, no one is really looking at Green Loop and like trying to rescue survivors there because it is not in the danger zone right next to the the volcano that has just erupted. It's like far enough away that everyone thinks that they're probably fine, but they don't realize that this community is completely unprepared for this kind of thing to happen. They don't have any stockpiled food. They don't have any stockpiled resources at all. They Mm -hmm. have no ability to get their energy back online and stuff like that. So how many people approximately are we talking? Mm, A pretty small community, I'd say... 20 to 30 
would be okay. my estimate. Very, very small. Very small. Very small, like a neighborhood. I think it's kind of like a pilot for this type of community. And they're hoping that it goes really well and that they can get more funding to build other communities similar. I see. So obviously this group is going to experience a lot of hardships and winter is coming. So it's kind of showing how this group is going to survive the winter, how their community is adapting so that they have enough resources, they have the ability to survive winter. The kind of twist in this book is that um, as winter begins approaching, there starts to be more and more evidence of these very large predators in the area that are kind of moving closer and closer and getting a little more bold. And Mm -hmm. there's like some thought that it could be like a bear or something like that. But over time, it becomes clear. So this is a spoiler, obviously. But I think that this is probably on the tin. I think it's on the book description because I know what it's about to be. And I've only. Yeah. So it's a book about Bigfoots. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a really interesting depiction of Bigfoot because I think of Bigfoot as like Harry and the Hendersons, like this big, lovable oaf Mm -hmm. that is herbivorous and just kind of wants to be left alone. But so generally the premise is that these Bigfoots, Big Feet, (laughs) (laughs) have also been cut off from their normal resources, right? Well, one would assume that that's what's happening here. And they're not able to hunt their normal prey. And Uh, so they are moving in towards this community, and um, I forget what they call it. They call it the the Mount Rainier Massacre or something. Like it, they uh the news clips keep like alluding to this massacre that happens, and so obviously you know that things aren't going to go well with the Bigfoot population. (laughs) (laughs) We can we can see through foreshadowing that uh, (laughs) things are not going to end well. Um, and so Katie's brother is really the only person that is in the real world and knows that Green Loop is unprepared for this and knows that he hasn't heard from his sister in a really long time. And so he's like coming to this journalist and saying like, you got to put together the pieces, figure out what the diary means. Is my sister still alive? What went wrong here? Okay, so this is happening, uh, like, approximately how much later than this winter in question? Oh, um, I would say that it's probably pretty recent, within a year or two okay. of um, the actual massacre happening. So it's pretty close, because there is some evidence that potentially Katie made it out, and like is trying to survive or get revenge on the Bigfoots. It's it's very unclear what Katie's up to, but that's the general premise. Um, okay. And I thought it was a it was a really cool read. Like it wasn't world bending for me or anything. It's not like my favorite book or something. But um, I thought it was just like a really interesting concept to play with. I think it was well executed. I really liked the the characters. 
Specifically, I love the interpersonal dynamics between like the main trio of characters. So obviously your main character is Katie. Um, She interacts most with her husband, Dan, and another member of the community named Mostar. They meet Mostar when they come in. She is a bit of an outsider in the community. She is like an older individual. She is an artist and she kind of keeps to herself. She's not really excited by all of the cool tech and like Mm -hmm. the tech bro stuff going on. Um, (laughs) She's just like this really down to earth woman. And I really like her. She's also extremely insightful and the most competent at adapting to the situation. She is the one that teaches Katie to hunt and skin an animal and like, we've got to do this to survive. I know that you're super freaked out by this, but this is what we've got to do. And the, the three of them have just like the most interesting interactions, I think. One thing that I really like about Katie and Dan is that when Katie and Dan first moved to this community, in Katie's journal entries, she's describing a lot of interactions that they're having with the community members where they are asking Dan what he does for a living. And she's just like begging them not to ask that question and to just leave it alone. But basically, Dan was a up and coming entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. So he like had a business, it went bankrupt, he failed on his first business venture and then lost all motivation to continue with enterprises. So basically, Katie is the breadwinner for them right now. And Dan is kind of in a depressive state. He just like sits on the couch and Mostar is actually the person that kind of breaks him out of that right away. He She like marches up to the door and he, she's like, hey, Dan, help your wife carry in the grocery. <laughs> um, He's like, I, what? Um... And so, like, it sets him up to be this deadbeat kind of person. And I love that when he is put into this survival situation, he starts, like, his creativity is kicked into gear. He figures out a way to clear all of the ash off of people's solar panels so they can have energy. And he is just, like, inventing all of these different things. And he's in his element. And... The narrator, Katie, starts to feel pride again about being in a relationship with this man she obviously very much once admired and Mm -hmm. had kind of lost that love and lost that connection. And I think that it's so rare for a book's interpersonal drama to kind of work in the opposite direction where um, people start in a bad place and then heal and work through their issues in a survival type situation it's more common for people to start in a good place survival situation kicks into gear and everything falls apart and i found that relationship so satisfying and wholesome and it just like made me really happy finding love again and it was it's so subtle like katie doesn't draw attention to this in her writings you just kind of pick up on it over time and you can kind of at least in the audiobook, you can hear like more 
emotion in her voice when she's talking about their interactions. And I just thought it was really rewarding and wholesome to read about those interactions. And in terms of how Mostar is kind of influencing them, obviously Mostar is the most competent person in this situation. But instead of taking on the main leadership role, she instead twist things in conversations to make Katie make decisions and like look to her to make a decision for the community because she wants her to be the leader. Hmm. It's very clear that Katie does not really see herself as a leader, but I think a lot of people in the community do because Dan and Mostar both look to Katie for guidance on things and like decisions on things. And then all of the rest of the community kind of follows suit. Uh-huh. And um, the people that actually founded Green Loop are a couple. There's a, a man and a woman. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but they basically like go into hiding. They hide out in their own house and you just like never see them again um, huh. because they're scared. I think they see evidence of the Bigfoot. And they just shut down and they don't tell anyone. And Yeah, fuck them. They didn't warn anyone. Uh, no. And so the wife gets really stressed out and she like works out on the elliptical. And uh-huh. there's like this kind of like body horror scene where they come into the house and she's just been walking on this elliptical and just constantly they don't have any food. They haven't been participating in community stuff. Uh-huh. I thought they were both going to be dead. And that the elliptical was just going to, or like the treadmill or whatever, was just going to be like running. But no, she's just emaciated, a walking mm-hmm. skeleton. Um, And he's just like in a depressive state on the couch. And they're both alive, but it's a really weird scene. And I just think that that flip of people who you don't expect to be leaders in the community coming into their own was like a really cool theme in this novel. So another thing in the story that I really liked was that there wasn't a lot of infighting in the community. I feel like my instinct if I was writing this story would be to like create a lot of interpersonal drama where there's a schism in this community and no one wants Mm -hmm. to follow the leader. But it really is just for the most part, a story about just a community trying to survive. And then the only real enemy is the big feet. Right. (laughs) And I, I really liked that. I thought that it was really wholesome to see the community come together and work towards a common goal. Yeah, like, I just think that the fact that this community is able to kind of overcome the natural human instinct to, like, be greedy and hoard. And, like, you see a little bit of that. Mostar initiates, like, this garden. So she is like, we gotta start a garden. We gotta clear out your garage. We gotta bring in a bunch of dirt. We've gotta start growing potatoes. We've gotta start growing everything. So they start asking around. They're like, oh, do you have any potatoes? Because they're trying to like benefit the entire community. And one woman says, oh, no, but like she's really weird about it. And then she makes Uh hash browns. Fucking. But for the most part, that doesn't happen. And people aren't like shady and weird. um, And like people truly do end up working together um, in the society, which is, it's just really rewarding to watch people succeed. And if there wasn't a Bigfoot massacre, then (laughs) 
these people would have survived the winter. Like, right. that's so cool to me that, like, you can see a different scenario where the whole group survives. And I think that that's just really a cool way to write a story, I think, because it has just very wholesome energy, which I liked a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have that much more on this book, but I thought that it was in general, like a really fun, lighthearted read. It's a little bit horror, but it, it wasn't like haunting in any sense of the word. It went by really quickly. And I think as a person who really likes an X-Files episode and like a monster of the week type scenario, it kind of gives me that. It's like more of like a monster v community instead of like just interpersonal drama which i really like so yeah i really recommend this book i think that i mean obviously it's not like a must read it's not going to go on my must read list but mm-hmm. um it was a really fun exploration of like coming together as a community for survival and you don't see enough bigfoot literature out there either so no i can't think of much at all no yeah did do you get a sense of closure at the end Hmm. I mean, it was a little open-ended, but the general consensus is that Katie did escape and she escaped with one of the children in the village. I mean, I would say that I didn't get left feeling like dissatisfied with the way things ended. Obviously, it was a massacre. So like some of my favorite characters did not make it out. But I thought that the story that was told was really, really satisfying from beginning to end. So I recommend it. I specifically recommend it in audiobook form if you have the capability to listen to it as an audiobook. Um, I thought that the voice acting added a lot as well. It was just like a pretty light, easy read. That's all I got on that. So this week I'm going to be talking about Stranger Things 4, which just concluded a couple of days ago. So this is the fourth season in the Netflix original series Stranger Things that started back in 2016, and they released the first portion of this season earlier this year in May. Uh, They broke it into what they called two volumes. So volume one was episodes one through seven that came out in May late May this year, and then there were two more episodes that comprised Volume 2, and they just came out on July 1st. Mm. And it, like, crashed Netflix, right? Uh, That's what I heard. um, (laughs) You weren't part of that. No, I... (laughs) You weren't that excited. (laughs) No, I I was like, oh, this will be... July 1st was a Friday, so I was like, all right, this will be a good reward for the end of the week. Yeah. And I'll watch it um, after work. I didn't finish those two episodes Mm -hmm. after work, mostly because the finale episode is two and a half hours. It's a movie. It's a whole movie. Yeah. Many of the episodes had very long run times um, Uh this season. There, I lost track the the run times were massive um if i could interrupt for a moment sure. that is one of my favorite things about a streaming service is that when you have tv shows that are designed for streaming 
the episodes can be as long as they really want them to be and however long it serves the the plot right Mm -hmm. so it's not like on cable when you have like two important things happen in an episode and then the rest Mm -hmm. is just fluff and like entertainment to keep people hooked Mm -hmm. until the next the next go round and i i really like that about streaming I know I love that flexibility and that the the runtime forms to the storytelling rather than the other way around Mm -hmm. so I want to tailor how much detail I give based on whether you've seen any and whether you anticipate on watching it okay um I have a confession that (laughs) (laughs) I kind of fell off the Stranger Things wagon with I think it was season three. I watched it, but I found season one and two a lot more compelling than three. Mm-hmm. And um, I just kind of felt like I was ready for things to kind of wrap up and kind of reach like a, a stopping point. That's just mm-hmm. personally how I felt. I will definitely watch season four, but you can totally give me spoilers. Like I'm not, I'm not concerned. Okay. Um, I think it'll be like an entertaining thing to watch for me, but I'm not like, I gotta watch it right away. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll probably stick to like the general plan of start off general, like spoiler free, and then I'll do like a specific warning when I get into more spoilery territory just for the listener's benefit. Okay. Um, but I, what I, wasn't sure if I wanted to completely cordon off things in case yeah. you were gonna um, catch up later on. Yeah, I will, um, but I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Okay. Um, so you and I discussed uh, a couple weeks ago that I wanted to reserve the right to talk about seasons of series mm-hmm. as their own pieces of media, which I don't know if I'll apply to every series, but I think for, especially for ongoing series is where we've already talked about the first season of something. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to talk about them again. So I think it makes sense to break things into seasons. Totally. Um, but this is the first time where I'm covering a series and I'm jumping in not at season one. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been a fan of this show just for a larger context uh, since the trailer dropped <laughs> for, for the first season. You know I'm always on trailer watch. Yeah. And I saw that trailer. This was back before Netflix did a lot of original content. Like, they had, I think, House of Cards and some of their really early original stuff. But, I mean, I for the longest time, at least while I was in, like, undergrad, Netflix was the company that mailed you DVDs. And <laughs> I was listening to a episode of My Brother, My Brother and Me the other day, uh-huh. and Travis McElroy was talking about how he'll never let go of his um, Netflix subscription because every week they mail him two DVDs. <laughs> He's like, I've been grandfathered into this shit. I'm never letting it go. That's amazing. I just um, thought it was so funny. And I just, uh, I mean, Stranger Things has been one of their tentpole original series for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And I I was in it from the very beginning when I saw that trailer and I was like, okay, we got small town 
retro horror sci-fi big time Stephen King vibes mm-hmm. and kids riding around on bikes. Yes. Clearly free range children. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is the show for me. <laughs> Those are all things I really love. Yeah. And I will say that season one was like transcendent, I thought for me, like it was the perfect amount of scares, the perfect amount of sci-fi. Like I was, I love season one. Oh yeah. I mean, I think season one is inarguably the best one yeah. thus far and everyone there's like a, a general consensus about that and I think it it shows that the Duffer brothers the creators of the show mm-hmm. and often directors and writers they I think it developed that one season for around 10 years and mm-hmm. that care and planning and pacing and plotting and all of that are very apparent um, in the final outcome. And obviously, um, the subsequent seasons haven't had as much planning time, but the subsequent seasons, including season four, have the benefit of cumulative time spent with these characters. Mm -hmm. And... That is something that very much appeals to me. I'm much more of a character-driven storytelling fan over plot-driven storytelling. Mm -hmm. So even if it's not as well-crafted as the first season, I do enjoy every subsequent season because I'm coming back to check in with these same characters and see what they're up to and see how they're interacting, you know, most of all. And see what fresh new hell has (laughs) approached them. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, So, yeah, that's how I approach it. And I... I've been looking forward to this season. It's been a really long gap because of COVID delays in production. And also because, I mean, God, they had so many hours of content for the season. It must have taken a long time to make. And they obviously have a huge budget now that the show has been so successful. So there's a, a, a ton of production and money going into the show now. And... That takes a lot of time to make. So, you know, I mean, I didn't love everything about the season. Uh, It's hard to make a perfect season of television. Mm -hmm. But I just want to focus on the positives because that's what we're here to talk about. So, you know, I'm sure lots of people have lots of opinions, but I just want to highlight the things that I really enjoyed because I love coming back to this series every time it's available. It's like a big event in my mind when there's new Stranger Things. So it's been something I've been meaning to cover, you know, since a couple months ago when volume one dropped, but I wanted to have the complete season before I talked about it. And so now we have that. So I one off like straight off the bat this season, it becomes very apparent that you know, these, this, the main stars of the show were in middle school when the series began. Mm -hmm. And now several years have passed and they're in high school or college for like the older kids Mm -hmm. or about to graduate high school. And everyone has aged up. And I think as a result, there was a general agreement that in terms of writing, 
like we want to age up the content in terms of level of horror and or graphic violence Um, not in like an american graphic violence kind of way but in a body horror kind of way so there's a lot more stuff that i wouldn't really imagine like a kid watching in terms of how people die in this season if that makes sense yeah um not that i think it's a show for kids even Mm -hmm. though it stars kids i think it's always been targeted towards more adults Mm -hmm. yeah season one was definitely spooky for a kid yeah it was spooky Um, for me (laughs) (laughs) then yeah definitely this would be perhaps a bit much for a kid to watch for sure I don't know a lot about kids, though. (laughs) Caveat. (laughs) (laughs) And so it struck me as like, oh, wow, this is this seems more this seems heavier Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what I'm looking at here while these people are dying. (laughs) So and that appeals to me like I want it to be aged up in lockstep with the the characters that they're portraying. So I thought that was a really good choice and I was pleased with that. Is it another new monster then this season or is it like kind of a resurgence of the same monster? It's a new monster. Okay. And the nature of this monster, I think is another great aspect of this season. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, the central thing that sets apart the monster they call him Vecna. Uh, it's a, you know, named after a D&D, original mm-hmm. D&D character like all of the other seasons. But the specific thing about Vecna, I think he's like a lich or something like that Ooh. in the actual D&D lore. Love a lich. I know. Liches are so cool. Very creepy. Um, he's like sentient. Mm-hmm. He's not like the Demogorgon or the Mind Flayer, where yeah. it's like a monster Predator type thing. Yeah, nothing going on upstairs per <laughs> se. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to them. <laughs> but he is very intentional. He's humanoid mm-hmm. and he talks Ugh. and he stalks particular victims and chooses them and selects them and literally stalks his prey and torments them psychologically and then later physically and it's a a very different vibe than just a like oh the demogorgon's here we gotta hide it's Mm -hmm. really different especially because most of this um stalking and the original interactions with Vecna are done completely like psychically through Mm -hmm. uh, a psychic connection to Mm -hmm. him in the upside down. And that's really interesting. That's a completely different type of antagonist than this group of people is used to combating. And on top of that, Eleven, the main protagonist that usually is keeping everyone safe she doesn't have her powers so yeah that was a development at the end of season three. Oh yeah and god that feels like ages ago i know it was it was years ago it was years and years ago 
So not only do you have this like extra hostile and sophisticated antagonist, but you have a, a protagonist that doesn't have their full capabilities. And another central feature of what sets the season apart, which isn't completely original to this season, because in season three, everyone sort of um, was grouped into different factions plot-wise. And again, that's happening here. So there's four main locations that represent different groupings of people, where now they're like completely spread out. So you have a central Hawkins group of people. Um, the show takes place in Hawkins, Indiana. It's like this fictional small town. And that's where the epicenter of all this like bad stuff is uh, typically taking place. Mm-hmm. You have Eleven and the Byerses. They have moved to California because they're over living in Hawkins <laughs> for <laughs> really understandable reasons. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, a season that's taking place over spring break. So Mike Wheeler, he goes, he flies to California on his spring break to go visit Eleven and the Byerses and hang out with the California crew. So he's part of that crew for the season. Mm-hmm. You have um, the Russia crew. Um, Jim Hopper, he is in a prison camp in Russia. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's bad vibes. <laughs> yeah, because we ended the previous season thinking mm-hmm. he died or, like, got trapped or something. We ended the previous season with a very emotional send-off for his character. There's, like, a narration of a goodbye letter that he left. Um, that's, like, a really... Oh, it's great. You would remember it if you saw it. Wait, sorry. Did I watch season three? Sorry, hold on. Season three took place in the summer, at like 4th of July. Was season three... And there yeah, was a mall. Because, yes, oh, the mall. And the Dustin mall comes season. back from summer camp. Yes, that's season three. Okay, so I totally watched that. I do not remember the Hopper letter. Um, but we think... I thought he died, at least. Right, except there's a... Um, what's an Eden credit scene? Yes. Where, where you find out that he doesn't. Well, there's these Russian guards in a prison and mm-hmm. they make reference to an American. And if mm. you, you know, can put two and two together, that's obviously, obviously him. Yeah. So they let you, <laughs> they let you off the hook right away. Gotcha. Um, and then. I think I got up. frustrated and didn't watch the end credits scene. I think I just oh, shut perhaps. it up. I was like, this is it. This is, I'm never watching it again. <laughs> and he was in all of the trailers for season four. So if you, if the subtext wasn't enough, then you explicitly saw him yeah. in the trailers. And yeah, so he is the main dude in Russia. And I mean, I don't think this is too spoilery, but Joyce Byers, Winona Ryder, and uh, my I guy, can't. Murray Bauman, they go to Russia to save to save is Jim. Is Murray the cool journalist guy? Yes. I Brett love Gellman, him. He's AKA so weird. Martin from Fleabag. Yeah, I fucking oh, yeah. love Brett Gelman. He fucking rocks. And yeah. Murray crushes it this season. Uh, I it's really a great like season for Murray. <laughs> yeah. 
fucking love that guy. So yeah, he's part of Russia crew. Ooh, and there's a new character in the Russia storyline. They call him Enzo is his code name. Mm -hmm. Antonov is his real character surname. But he's played by Yakin Hagar from Game of Thrones. You might recognize him by the face. But uh, he was a nice addition to that location plot line and he had like a little good friendship developing with hopper he kind of helps him carry out his escape plans it's okay if you don't recognize him yeah 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 he's the man with with no name yeah the man with no face and or both i don't remember (laughs) no name and no face (laughs) he's got nothing Yes, with uh, a man with many faces. I think the best. That's what I was meaning to say. Yes, the best um, Arya plotline, definitely. Except for when she's with the Hound. That's. I would say that is real close. <laughs> Both good. He's great. He plays a guard. He's uh, he's cool. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth location is Eleven is. Uh, at this thing called the Nina Project, where they're trying to get her powers back and things like that. And that's the main four plot lines that you're following throughout. And it's interesting because all of this shit is going down in Hawkins with these um, really gruesome murders happening. Mm. And there's a new character in Hawkins. His name is Eddie Munson. And... All of the murders get blamed on him because he likes D&D and death metal and he lives in a trailer. <laughs> D&D makes you a murderer. <laughs> well, it's this is them taking us through the satanic panic, which is when people oh, literally did yeah. think that D&D would make you, I don't know, worship Satan or something incredibly Yikes. stupid like that. Yeah. Um, wow. A really embarrassing time for the U.S. Yeah. Not Much like great. now. Yeah. Um, if you're interested in more about the Satanic Panic, um, I highly recommend listening to Conviction. Uh, it's a podcast through the Gimlet Network. And that was really interesting um, for me. It was just like a really good piece of journalism. So. Yeah. So this is basically there. It's a direct reference to the satanic panic is what's happening in this season and the town kind of like turns on this character eddie and they're like oh it's definitely him and they it's like they're trying to find him but the kids know he would never do that and they're friends with him so Mm. they all band together to try to hide him help him hide out but also try to figure out who actually killed all these teens and obviously it was Vecna yeah, so. obviously it's the monster <laughs> yeah uh. <laughs> so that's like the main driving the main driving thing of the plot mm-hmm. and the people in the other locations act over the course of the season and very much in the finale as support from afar mm-hmm. you think for a long time that they all might converge geographically on Hawkins but that doesn't end up being the case so they each kind of play their parts mm-hmm. actively but distantly hmm. um yeah so that's the main gist of the season it's a kind of 
hard to summarize because it is so much more content than Mm -hmm. a typical Stranger Things season. But the benefit of that extra runtime was that you got more development for characters you might not have seen that much of before. Uh, Max Mayfield, she gets a ton of Mm. character development this season. She is one of the the focal people, I would say. Mm. And you see her dealing with the aftermath of watching her half-brother, step-brother, Billy, get murdered. Her pseudo-brother of some type. (laughs) Her dealing with watching him die at the end of season three and how she's processing that and how that impacts her interactions with Vecna and how she's sort of withdrawn from everyone that she Mm -hmm. used to be friends with. She's no longer in a relationship with Lucas and she doesn't talk to Dustin or Mike or I mean Eleven and Will because they moved away but she doesn't talk to people in Hawkins anymore. So she's going through a tough time. Excuse me, who's watching Will while Joyce is in Russia? Um, <laughs> Jonathan. Oh, um, yeah, I freaking forgot about Jonathan. Jonathan and his new friend Argyle. And what a good name. Yeah, they are the California crew are the most lighthearted yeah. plot line. They're okay. like my second favorite. Hawkins was my favorite. California was second favorite, then mm-hmm. Russia, then Eleven for me. Got it. And um, yeah, Will's so adorable. He's mm. just freaking adorable this season. Yeah. I love him. He and Jonathan have like a really nice convo in the finale. That's really sweet because mm-hmm. we didn't get a lot of their like, mm-hmm. you know, brotherly relationship in recent times and... So it was nice to see them kind of bringing back that really nice relationship that they have. Um, Lucas gets really interesting development, character development this season, especially because you see him starting out at the beginning of the season. All of the kids have moved into high school now, Mm -hmm. so they're adjusting to new social groups because they're not, you know, a larger pool of people. Mm-hmm. And Mike and Dustin have gravitated towards the D&D crowd with Eddie Munson. And Lucas has gravitated towards the jock crowd because mm-hmm. he's on the basketball team. And he's friends with all the basketball guys now. Mm-hmm. And he's got like an actual shot at being, you know, popular cool. or whatever. Yeah. Or cool. And so he starts off the season being pretty conflicted about abandoning his existing friends in favor of these cooler friends and Mm -hmm. things like that. And you have to see him make a series of decisions over the course of a few episodes about who he wants to be and who he wants to believe because the jocks are convinced that Eddie Munson, mm. you know, killed this cheerleader and they know the D&D kids are hiding him and that type of thing. And Lucas is in the middle mm-hmm. and he has to make a decision about his identity, essentially. And mm. I really liked that storyline. I thought that was great. And uh, 
Caleb McLaughlin. He's the guy that plays Lucas. He did a really good job this season, acting-wise. So did Sadie Sink. She plays Max, and, you know, everyone is like, wow, she fucking killed it. So those were really cool developments in character. And, yeah, basically all my favorite parts of this season and every season is just different interpersonal relationships (laughs) developing. (laughs) Um, So, obviously, like, Hopper and Joyce is something that has been teased for a long time. Yeah, the will they, won't they. Will they, won't they. And finally, that, like, gets further along. So that was really pleasing and nice to see and cute this Mm -hmm. season. I loved that. Um, uh, Lucas and Max, they have sort of um, a deepening of their relationship, even though they are no longer in like a romantic relationship. The trials and tribulations that Max is going through really uh, draw her back closer to Lucas, and you see how much they both like deeply care for each other, and that's a really a really touching relationship that we see more of in this season, so that's nice. I mentioned Jonathan and Will in the finale, and um, or like the last couple episodes. I feel like somehow <laughs> Jonathan is the only person in California that can read subtext sometimes, <laughs> so. He's, like, the only person that understands what Will is going through. (laughs) And um, they're just really cute. Um, But I have to say, the most engaging and important and just exciting interpersonal uh, developments this season is between Nancy and Steve. Everyone knows Steve's my MVP if you listen to our Top 5 Supporting Characters episode. Um, uh, Nancy and Steve have a little spark, uh, and, because Nancy's still with Jonathan, and Jonathan's being a little shadester and not being honest with Nancy, and Nancy's not being honest with herself, and <laughs> there's, like, just kind of bad vibes going on there in that distance relationship, and... Steve has, you know, done a lot of self-reflection about who he was when he originally was with Nancy and Mm -hmm. who he is now and who he wants to be and who he wants to be with. And, I mean, spoiler, it's Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so their, like, sexual tension throughout the season is great. Like, if you watch Mm -hmm. for no other reason, watch it for that. It's perfect. I know, you know, Nancy's still with Jonathan technically, but I'm, like, 100% like team homewrecker Steve. Like, <laughs> I know that goes against your sensibilities. No, I I didn't really get the, like, shift from Steve to Jonathan in the first place. Like, I mm-hmm. kind of, in the previous seasons, I kind of, didn't want there to be a romantic spark between Nancy and Jonathan just because it didn't make sense to me. And I kind of wanted them to just be friends, um, mm-hmm. like through all of their adventures. I don't know. I don't feel strongly about it. They're kids. Okay. They'll heal. They'll recover. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a clear and obvious choice that Nancy needs to make. Yeah. <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I just loved that. That was 
my favorite part of all of the interactions was Steve and Nancy's interactions this season. Um, that's the kind of general stuff. I'll get into more specific spoilers now, just so I can hit some quick highlights about things that I really loved. Um, I think if I had to pick a favorite episode, it would be episode four, Dear Billy. Um, that's the one with the uh, Kate Bush moment that lots of people are talking about and it's really good like I don't want to spoil anything more about that but it's a really really great standout episode but yeah that episode was very compelling from start to finish but particularly the end wow very emotional very good and another advantage that this season has is that it now has the benefit of Uh, showing us flashbacks to Mm. seasons past and moments past where um, we can recall these really happy times for these characters and having those flashbacks employed in the way that they are in these scenes is very effective. I thought Mm -hmm. that was really well done and I loved that. I loved that incorporation into this season um, of like past things that we've seen. So yeah, episode four was my favorite if I had to pick one. But I liked the finale too. It was um, a little bit not what I was expecting because I kind of got caught up in the meta text of this season in that uh, I heard murmurs about expecting um, a body count for this finale And so my expectations were kind of high in terms of I'm going to watch a bunch of these people die. (laughs) Mm. And that wasn't exactly the case. I mean, technically, people did die. Mm. And it was some people I knew. But I was, like, you know, ready to let go of some very key people. Yeah. And they kind of walked that back in a way. But there's other moments where I was like, oh, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. Or I like literally said, oh, no, out loud. And for me, that's great. (laughs) I love being unpleasantly surprised because Uh. I love being surprised. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, I won't go into like a million different details. I think you get the idea. I'm interested to see how they wrap things up in season five. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I think they've been locked in for a long time. That season five will be the final season, which I think is good. I don't think any show should be more than three or four seasons. So I'm yeah. glad they're at least not going beyond that. Yeah. I hope that they stick the landing and I hope it doesn't take like four more years to come out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm interested to see what you think of it when whenever you get around to seeing it this conversation has made me a lot more excited about watching it mm-hmm. i was very underwhelmed by season three mm-hmm. um so this this season seems like it's got a lot of promise yeah it's funny because i i listen to some podcasts specifically geared towards this whether mm-hmm. it's like a stranger things dedicated podcast or like a pop culture podcast that has episodes dedicated to this Mm -hmm. and it always kind of shocks me the range of reactions of just the different parts or characters that some people like that I could take or leave 
Mm -hmm. um, versus like the things that I love that um, other people don't love as much. Like there's something there for everyone clearly, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it's, I'm still in it. I still like it. Yeah. And there's like a, a guy, the human villain of the season is compelling in that I absolutely hated him from the moment I saw him. His name's Jason. He has really big, like, preacher energy. <laughs> he sucks bad, basically. And now if that actor is ever in anything else, <laughs> you will hate it. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. That's all. Those are the broad strokes. Mm-hmm. I, one thing that I'm curious about... With this villain, not the human villain, the, mm-hmm. like, lich. Mm-hmm. Vecna. Vecna. Does Vecna have, like, obviously, you don't have to give too much away, but does Vecna have, like, a reason and, like, for what they're doing? Like, are they just killing to kill? Is that, like, something that they are finding enjoyable? Is it for a larger purpose that gets revealed throughout the season? Like, what is kind of, I'm just curious if there's, like, a method to the madness there. Uh, the latter. There's, like, a very, there's a lot of information that you learn about Vecna and okay. his backstory. And you learn a lot more about the origins of the Upside Down and that type of thing. Which oh. I think for some people was really satisfying. Yeah. For me, I don't care where they came from i care what the people do about the upside down Uh, but if it's more satisfying for other people to understand where these monsters came from and just insight into like hawkins lab you learn a lot more about that the you know child psychics program or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck like you learn about that (laughs) yeah that sounds really cool to me actually there's you get a ton more backstory okay cool so yeah, you you do understand his it it takes the entire season, but you you understand him and his motivations and his I think general his general game plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I mean that sounds good. Um I think it has a lot that I felt was missing in season 3, so mm. I'll definitely have to check that out. Overlap time? Sure. The friend diagram. I mean you know, you obviously have a community of people facing a supernatural challenge. That's mm-hmm. the the most, like, ground-level comparison, for sure. I wrote, monsters be humans. Yes. <laughs> In my That's another way to put it. <laughs> monsters be humans, for the most part. Um, and some human be human for stranger things. Right. Um, another one for me was... One, very satisfying interpersonal connections in both for me. And two, the rekindling of romances, right? So you were talking about Nancy and Steve um, kind of rekindling their spark. And um, in my book, Katie and Dan kind of rekindled their spark as well, Mm -hmm. which is good. I like found that extremely satisfying. Yeah, that's a good one. I think another one is cultivating skills in Mm. people that may not have been very confident in those skills. Mm -hmm. Um, The the Hawkins crew, all like the kids and the teens, they are on their own without Eleven for the first time facing Mm -hmm. this like huge supernatural threat. And so they have to use, you know, whatever abilities they have to 
try to make a plan and take down Vecna on their own. And so there's like training montages and preparation montages oh. where people are like making spears and shields and doing like a good old fashioned, like getting ready for the fight, mm-hmm. which is great. I love that energy. And um, that just kind of reminds me of what you were describing with um, like learning to make a garden, learning to do this or yeah, that. And definitely taking it upon yourself um oh and they also make weapons too when they realize that they're gonna start dealing with these big feet Mm -hmm. um (laughs) they start making (laughs) spears and shit which is great yeah that's a good comparison we've got a lot for this one i think these are very compatible anything else murder (laughs) there's murder There's there's murder plenty of murder and it seems like there are like high stakes, I guess. Yeah. Like with in terms of characters, like in um devolution, like no one is safe. And it seems like at least some important people are not safe in um Stranger Things for. Um yeah. which I think is important because you get like so comfortable with like your characters and stuff. I love steaks Mm -hmm. i even if you kill my most favorite person if it's done correctly i will be like wow this was great like Mm -hmm. i would prefer to have that sense of tension Mm -hmm. over keeping the people i love forever Mm -hmm. the characters i love forever i i was fucking certain steve was gonna die this season yeah i they were giving him so much wholesome conversations about the future and what he envisioned his family would they're be probably like. saving him for five yeah. <laughs> i was like holy shit they're really gonna do it they're really gonna fucking kill steve and um i mean he lived to fight another day but we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens Um, I was almost like, I can't believe you didn't do it. Like, Mm -hmm. you cowards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we had some really good overlaps on this one. Yeah. Proud of us. Yay! (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing, too, with, like, choosing our media prior to, like, chatting with one another is Mm -hmm. that, like, this isn't table talked. Like, we have no idea what is going to happen at the end and so sometimes we just have like more superficial ones and that's that's fine but then there are like really satisfying comparisons that we get to draw like in this episode that just like make me really happy Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.